Hi, this is Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, New York's premier collaboration space for women who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. Welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be a Luminary podcast. During our podcast, we'll speak to luminous leaders, exploring how they're inviting others to their table and exemplifying luminary behavior in their personal and professional lives. We welcome you to listen and come sit at our table. Welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, the Be a Luminary podcast. I am excited and welcome to join Sarah LaFleur, co-founder and CEO of MM LaFleur, the incredible workwear brand for professional women. Uh, So welcome to our table, Sarah, and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Kate. It's a joy to be here. And um, we got to do something similar in the new luminary space in person. Um, And that was such a wonderful conversation. It was. Looking forward to part two. Yes, part two. And it's funny, that was that was March, right? So it seems like it was just yesterday, but it was it was for Women's History Month, right? I know. I was like, time flies. Two years ago. Yes. No, No, it's time flies. And I think it's six months ago. (laughs) I think it's we're all so busy. um, So but again, we had such an overwhelming response to the in-person event. We were getting people asking, oh, Kate, when when are you going to have Sarah back? And so hopefully we'll get you back in the space. But now that we've launched the podcast, we thought it would be great to have you and, and have you share some of your stories. So I'm really excited because not only are we, you know, partnering and involved with M.M. LaFleur, but Sarah has been incredible to, to Luminary. She's been a huge advocate and we've become friends. But you talked a lot about when we had our speaker series, and I think it was really such a great story around your journey to where you are today in M.M. LaFleur. But kind of where you started and what um, kind of kicked you into gear to, to creating this, this amazing brand? Uh, yes, it was, um, you know, gosh, I've been working on MM for eight years now. So I think a lot of times people think this uh, startup journey is a, is about um, being an overnight success. Yep. And I would say, you know, I, I am a prime example of that not at all being the case. Um, it's taken a lot of, of years and uh, sweat and tears. So uh, but I would say the initial introduction for me, I mean, it was it wasn't one of those things where I said to myself, like, what I really want to go do is start a company or um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Actually, my mother was an entrepreneur, but it never occurred to me that that was something that I wanted because I saw her, you know, on the front lines and, and firsthand just saw how difficult and how challenging that journey was and so I you know it was really the last thing I I thought I would do um but I think when was it it was when I was 27 um I had landed this dream job or or the the job that I thought I had wanted yeah uh, which was this this job in a private equity firm um and I basically dreamed about having this job for three years and uh got it uh started and I think like within the first week knew that this was not going to be <laughs> the right place for me, which was a dreadful feeling to have because I'd, I had moved back um, from South Africa uh, to New York City to, to take this job on. And, um, you know, just I, I just knew in my in the in the bottom of my, my heart that it was it was not going to be my place. Um, and so I, I mean, I, I really thought hard about this one because I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, you, c- you could never leave a job after um, before you spent at least a year there or, you know, get, get another job yeah. before you leave this job. And 
I kind of went against all of that professional wisdom and, and quit maybe four months into that job. Um, basically because I, I got to a, a breaking point, you know, I, I really, I think it suffered a lot, um, psychologically, uh, being in a job that I was very unhappy in. And, um, you know, I, I quit, uh, turned in my two weeks notice and, uh, I was out. And, um, I think simultaneously with this feel, feeling of, of, um, unbridled enthusiasm and freedom came deep fear about what I was going to do next. Cause I, I, it was the first time I think in my life that I, I didn't know what I was going to do next. Uh, and, um, uh, so that was, that was really the moment where I was like, okay, what, what should I do with, with this newfound freedom? Um, and I always had this idea for creating better workwear for working women, uh, like myself, because I, I struggled to find good workwear as a professional. Yeah. Woman. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so that was, that was the beginning of it, but it wasn't really, you know, that kind of tale or, uh, entrepreneur story that you hear where, um, this this person is thinking about starting it for the long, longest time and then makes all the preparations and then, and then launches. It, it really happened because at that point in my career, which was really one of the lowest points of my professional confidence, I, I felt like I had no choice but to create my own company. Which is, again, to I mean, I think you just kind of highlighted it. We hear so much about, I think there's this, this sexiness, and you and I have talked about it, of startup land, right? That um, yeah. you're working full-time, you have this great idea, you get funding, and then you've got this overnight success of a company. I mean, much like, and we've, you've talked about this as well, much like you, I, I sort of got to that after 20 years on finance, like, what do I want to do next? And, <laughs> and I didn't have a job to go to. It was like, I ripped the bandaid off and then, okay, now what? And so you, yeah. you decided um, to start this company, but you started it. And I love this part of your story because I think, again, the sexiness of startup world, and again, not that it's not sometimes sexy, we, we love it, but that at, there's this whole, um, I guess, infatuation almost to venture funding, right? That you have to start everything with venture funding or some type. And you actually um, took some of your own money, your parents matched yep. it and started it. So, you know, what, how was that decision? And what was that decision to say, I'm not going to go out and try to raise a bunch of money first. I'm actually going to build this concept with a, a certain amount of money. So, gosh, I, I really didn't know better. And it was a, it was a different time, I think, also in the the funding space, you know, people weren't talking about um, trying to fund more women. Uh, I think it, it was the early days mm -hmm. of Warby, Parker and Bonobos, kind of the, the first um, wave of uh, direct to consumer companies taking off. And um, I, I saw them and thought like, OK, that that this is good inspiration. Um, let's see what I can do. And um, but I, I spoke with some venture capital investors. I mean, I, I got zero interest. You know, they were they were very kind to yeah. you know in terms of to me in terms of taking the meeting and and giving me advice. But um, as far as they were concerned, I mean, I heard this on multiple occasions. Uh, working women was a niche category. Uh, workwear was a niche category, which is totally yeah, untrue. Unbelievable. Um, you know, people. I think the world spends roughly 120 billion dollars on on women's workwear every year. So huge, huge industry. And, and that was the response that I got time and time again. So um, I did not get funded. Uh, and so I, I uh, had no choice but to put in my own money. And so I, I put in, I think, uh, $35,000, maybe a, t a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, which is all the savings that I had. I basically emptied my entire savings account in one day and put it into my business account. And then my parents 
um, like you said, gave me another 35,000. So I, I started with a little, I think a little over $70,000, which basically took me through the first year. Um, you know, in retrospect, uh, emptying my entire savings account was a little, uh, I mean, now I would be like, wow, that's crazy. But you know, at the time I really had, I felt that I had nothing to lose. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't yeah. have kids, you know, uh, you know, I was like, what, what, what do I, what else do I have, um, that I want to spend money on that I want to bet on? And, um, so this was really the thing. Uh, and it was really, gosh, it was only five years after that, that we ended up raising our series A. Um, and, and I think at that point I had been burned by so many VC conversations that I was like, no, I, there's no way I'm ever going to raise from VC. Like never again. I probably had a, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder by that point. Uh, but I was very lucky to have uh, another um, investor uh, give us a call um, and I wasn't going to take it, but um, I don't know. I, I did for some reason. And uh, he was one of the most wonderful people I had ever met, um, was just so different from every other VC I met, was so humble. Um, and it, it's a he, right? Yeah. So he's not, he's not exactly our target customer, <laughs> but he said, you know, I don't know anything about workwear, but teach me, um, you know, I'm, I'm a willing student and was just so different in his entire attitude towards our business. And so it, it felt like a true partnership as opposed to the many other meetings I had been in where I was kind of, you know, doing this whole dog and pony show to try to woe, uh, woe these investors who, who would never wear our clothes. Right. And them asking you all the questions, like, again, back to, oh, it's a niche market. Well, the majority of women, working women actually work in an office. They need clothes, right? They're not sitting in their pajamas, exactly. right? Totally. Yeah, but, but it was niche. kind of, you know, when I heard that, I, you know, I, you know, and you look, and you go to Silicon Valley and you look at some of these VC firms and you can see why these people might think that it's a niche category because there are so few women in the industry. Um, you know, the statistic that always really sticks with me is 2% of all VC funding go to women-led companies. Uh, so we truly are a minority in that sense. And um, I think the, uh, I think it was even harder uh, back in 2011, 2012. Um, I think it, it's seen marginal improvement, but we're still so far, 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 far away from the quality. Yeah, I know. It's incredible that we're still saying the same statistics, right? It's like a lot of the statistics yeah. we talk about. It's like, I mean, we're moving and I think there's been a lot of progress and there's positive, but it's, it's not, at, at least for us as women, it's not happening as fast as we want. Right. And I think, I mean, 2% is a, is kind of a joke. It is. It <laughs> is. Not, like, I think when, uh, you talk about, um, uh, conservative countries and what percentage of their, uh, government, uh, representatives or their political representatives are women, you know, you hear 20% or 30% yeah. and that's shockingly low and here it's 2%. And so, and this is in America. So I think it's a, it's, it's a real tragedy. It is. And it's the same, right. As we think about women that are on boards and women in C-suite, right. If we don't focus on building that pipeline and that's pipeline in women into leadership roles, but certainly the pipeline of women that need access to capital, right. And how do we accelerate yeah. that? So, but totally agree on that. I want to go back to something that you were, you know, you, you, you took this massive risk, right. You quit your job, you took your savings. And I think there are a lot of people out there that again, they read the articles and they sort of, they don't know what to take a risk on and, and you bet on yourself, right? You bet on this idea, yeah. but I am assuming, and I, we, I know you and I both talked to founders, but you know, that wasn't just a passion and an idea. You had a business plan, you kind of had a trajectory, you know, what your cash flow looked like all of that. I mean, that had to be sort of, you know, 
if I think about preparation and execution, you know, you need the fundamentals, especially when you know you're betting, you're taking a whole, a complete risk and it's on you because you're the head. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are a lot of ways to found a company and, um, not everyone has to be the business whiz. Uh, like for example, my co-founder Miyako, she's the creative director. So, uh, you know, I joke that I, I manage the money. She's the one who actually creates the product. Uh, <laughs> and, and there are different roles that you can take being a founder, but I would say uh, that at least one person in your founding team having a very strong business background is an essential and I say that because I, I, it obviously you want to you want to manage your money well. Cash is the most important thing uh, in in a startup. I mean, it, it's the most important thing in any business, but really for a startup, it is it is the lifeline. Yeah. And not having somebody on your founding team who intimately understands how your cash is moving in and out uh, and what that cycle looks like. Um, you know, it's, it is really the most important thing that I think you can do in the early days of your business. So, you know, I would say either you're the, you're the business whiz, or you want to find a partner who's the business whiz. Um, but I think what Miyako and I always say is that MM became successful and MM is what it is today, because I think we, we had each other. Um, I could not have done it without her, uh, talent for creating beautiful product. And, um, she being the creative and the designer, couldn't have done it without someone with a business head like mine. Yeah. So, true partnership. Um, good partners. That yeah, each other. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when people hear again, this terminology startup, um, you know, most, m- many companies are still considered startups, right. Even though they've been around and you just mentioned, you know, almost eight years on, um, you, you know, I don't know that most people know that part of the story, right. But you've, you've yes. been around and, and you've continued to build one of the things. And I didn't know this until you spoke really at, at Luminary and told the story of you were really building community early on, right. If you think about, you were having these almost, I call them salons where you were bringing people were loving them and buying them. And then you launched your website yeah. and you said it was like, crickets. Yeah. Okay. It was such um, a different experience. You know, I think you're absolutely right. We, we did have this community. I mean, I, I was a working woman. I uh, worked in management consulting firm. A lot of my girlfriends uh, were working in industries where they needed to dress a certain way uh, at work. They couldn't just roll in in their pajamas. And so I, I had this community of women uh built inherently. And I, I, uh, I think one interesting thing that happened in the early days is I remember we, when we organized a trunk show, we had one woman from Goldman Sachs come. And then at the next trunk show, we had like six women from Goldman Sachs and they had all heard about us through this, this other woman. And it was really one of those moments where I saw that, you know, women listening, women are listening to each other when it comes to work where they're not turning to fashion magazines or uh, bloggers. Yeah. They, they really ask each other, and uh, so I was, we were able to really tap into that network and that word of mouth initially. But when we, when it came time to launch our site, uh, we just thought, okay, well, the trunk shows have been so successful. This e-commerce site is going to be an overnight, uh, overnight success as well. And that really wasn't the case at all. I, I, we launched our site and it really was, I mean, for the first year and a year and a bit, we could not grow. We could not find new customers. Right. Um, it was, it was a very challenging time in the business. 
So what is then kind of, and I know, you know, every company faces challenges and hurdles and we, we often don't hear about those. We often hear only about the great things that are happening. Right. Cause that's, that's called, that's called PR media. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the challenges, so you had this for the year, year and a half. I mean, what, what changed and sort of brought you to the, clearly community is still at the heart of what you guys do, right? I mean, the women on social media, the women that wear it, I mean, to, for the reader or the listeners, you know, when we did our pop-up when you, you spoke, we still have women that come in and they're like, oh my God, this is my M.M. LaFleur dress yeah. because I was talking to someone next to me or oh, these are the pants, that are the black pants. Yeah. And it is really part of like, you feel this camaraderie because you're in the trenches, but you want to look good and you want to feel powerful and you want to look great. Um, but what I think you know, you had that year and a half and then it was like this, this kind of like light switched and, and, and you've been growing really ever since. So what was that light switch that happened? I think the biggest aha moment for us uh, as a business was realizing that we sell uh, what, what we jokingly call boring black dresses, uh, boring (laughs) black pants. It's um, these are work pants, you know, they, they don't have sparkles on them. Uh, they, they, they don't shine in the, in the dark, but they, uh, they are beautiful, really well-made, tailored, uh, well-crafted pants. And it is really hard to tell that story online in, in the world of e-commerce that we live in on a 2D screen. So even though we had so much confidence in our products and we were selling them so well in person, when it came time to actually sell them online, it was so difficult to show customers how our $195 black pants were different from the $40 pair of pants that you could buy right. at, you know, Zara or H&M. And what ultimately ended up changing the course of our company was the launch of uh, what we call Bento, um, which is a... Uh, you first take a survey when you come to our site, you fill out a, you fill out a brief survey. And then based on that, um, our stylists are sending you a box of uh, items that we think you will most like. And then when we we launched that, I I think our revenue tripled overnight. um, Wow. To date is one of the most uh, shocking things to happen to me in my life. But I think the big aha moment was, okay, these customers need to try on our products first before they're convinced about the $195 value. Again, really hard to tell that story through an e-commerce site, right? Yeah. And so just telling her, like, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, tell us, tell us how tall you are. Tell us what size you like to wear. Tell us what type of clothes you like to wear. Based on that, we'll send you these items and you don't have to make a decision about whether to keep them until you actually try them on. Um, and this was back in 2013 when, uh, 20, I guess 2014, when e-commerce was still very, um, very, this was like probably, I would call it the second wave of, of digital uh, DTC brands, yeah. direct to consumer brands. So people, people weren't buying $2,000 Peloton bikes. I think, um, you know, even spending $195 was a lot of money. Was a yeah, lot. And yeah. um, I think the landscape has shifted quite a bit since then. So um, we, we actually see with our customers now, they are very perfectly happy to, to buy, um, our more expensive products, but, uh, it was not the case back then. And so launching this service, that was really the game changing moment for our business where, um, we, we were suddenly able to acquire a whole new group of customers, very good customers who up until that point were hesitant to give us a try. 
Yeah, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I remember the first time uh, that I had tried MM Fleur. So I went on and I did the survey. And, you know, you, pu- you put in, you know, how do you fit in certain brands and things like that. And so when I went in for my first um, so- styling session at, at one of the showrooms, <laughs> I walked in and I had, a, I had, I think, either a Def Leppard or a Metallica T-shirt on and <laughs> jeans and, 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 like, leopard print heels. And the, and, the, and the stylist said to me, okay, you lied on your survey. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, because when I took the survey, I was still a banker and now I'm an entrepreneur so I can wear whatever the hell I want. Yes. And she loved it. And she said, all right, let's figure out the separates that we can get you. And, and it was such a good experience because I think, yes, there's the, uh, there's the online. And I love that, that you have that. And the, I think again, being able to try before you buy is, is, is such a great opportunity, especially for different body types. And you guys service a lot of body types, but I think that also that in-person where, and I'd love to, so that the people know that, that are listening, like where, because you do have a couple of showrooms, you have a brand new, um, downtown in New York, right? Yes, as we well. do. So- we do. Yeah. But so the, I mean, I, I guess this is, a this is, a fresh off the, the press, but fresh off the press. What am I saying? That's like, that's what I would say. <laughs> Pressure off the press, something like that. <laughs> so I have vacation brain. Anyway, <laughs> hot off the press. That's the expression. Hot I off the press. press. Yes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, sorry, Kate. Um, but anyway, this is news. Hot off the press. We are, we're actually evolving Bento into a new version, which we are um, very excited to launch at the end of this month. So um, I will tell you more about that when uh, that news um hits but I, I think this is the ever-changing nature of our our business in the world of e-commerce that we live in and so we've seen since then that our customers are wanting something slightly different from the bento experience that we launched in 2014 and so uh bento is about to have its uh 50, 5th birthday um and along wow. with its fifth birthday we're gonna we're gonna make some slight modifications to the program and so excited to tell you more about that but in the meantime, yes, we have opened up a number of stores. We now have eight locations across the country, um, New York, D.C., Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, Atlanta, Houston. Um, I think that's I, I think I got them all. Um, and we just opened one up in Brookfield Place. Um, it's called mm to go We're featuring our 10 best-selling products. Um, and each of our products, I think this is maybe one thing that, that really sets us apart from the other Workwear brands is each product is really made with uh, a challenge in mind, a challenge that women, working women face on a daily basis. So, um, for example, uh, we have a pair of pants. This is the best selling pants that I was telling you about earlier, the Foster pants. Uh, yes, I have. You them. have them, right? So, <laughs> of course. One of the, one of the many um, uh, appeals of this particular pant is that you can shorten the pant length depending on whether you're wearing heels or flats and so I think women love that pant for many reasons it's been dubbed the the yoga pants for work um we have a uh, a, a beautiful uh, what looks like a silk top but it's actually machine washable made from a high-tech fabric from Japan called triacetate um we've got comfortable shoes so we're saying okay you know those heels that that you that hurt your feet because you can't just you just can't seem to walk in them um, we collaborated with a factory in Italy to make the most comfortable heels on the planet. And so this mm to go features those kinds of products. Uh, it's really the products that we stand behind and that we believe in. Um, and we are really, really excited to feature them uh, uh, in Brookfield Mall on the second floor, uh, just atop the escalators. 
that's so so great and you know i love the the sh- your shoes too one because they're comfortable but two they have the no- that, that that pair that have the no scratch yeah that's exactly. just great yeah. right for city streets city like street. and for people totally. if you don't believe them people always ask me because i talk about them and they're like oh that can't be true I'm like i tried i've literally stepped on cracks just to try it and they do not scratch it's incredible for city shoes with a with a heel to be so sturdy and durable and still look great. So that's my little pitch just because Thank I love you. them. And I also oh, hey, love the foster. Such a, <laughs> so it's such a good publicist. <laughs> um, hat off the press. I love MM Lafleur. So, um, but uh, the other thing, so I love that MM to go. That's such a cool concept, right? Plus with the 10 best pieces. So if you're, if you're in, um, in the stores, that's great. But I want to just, we have a couple minutes left and I want to kind of go to, you know, people talk about, you know, whether you work in a full-time job as a banker or a lawyer or a yoga instructor or an entrepreneur, you know, our lives are stressful. And so, and I think as an, as an entrepreneur, Mm. whether you're eight years in, 20 years in, a year in, it's still, it's tough. It's this roller coaster. And I know you just came back from a little bit of a vacation, (laughs) but what do you, what do you do um, to sort of take yourself out of some of that when life just gets just, you know, frantic and full on? Yeah, um, I, I I don't really um, make a secret of this. I have been seeing my psychiatrist, um, who I adore. For I, I actually met her right as I was leaving my last job because that was a really really difficult time for me, and um, I've stuck with her ever since. So every Friday I meet with her, and um, I would say that I'm somebody who's very sensitive. You know, I, I I think the feedback that people sensitive people often get is to grow a thicker skin and. It, that is just feedback that has never quite worked for me. I take everything very yeah. personally and, uh, and I ruminate on things a lot. And so one thing that she has really helped me with is, I guess, you know, you, some people would call it cognitive behavioral therapy, but um, I think what I will do often is I will ruminate and I just go down into this downward spiral. And I used to then punish myself for going into this downward spiral. Uh, and yeah. So one thing that she really taught me is she, she was saying, you have to stop the downward spiral. You have to put work into telling yourself, don't be so mean to yourself. Don't, you know, don't beat yourself up. And um, for someone who is, uh, I wouldn't quite call myself type A, but someone who, you know, is, is hardworking, um, her telling me you have to put the work in to prevent yourself from going into this downward spiral. That was actually incredibly helpful advice. Um, I don't know if I, if I'm, if I'm making, if I'm making sense here, but to, yeah, yeah, to to actually be able to say like, okay, I'm like, I got to catch myself before I I go to that place because going to that place isn't good for anybody. It's, it's not good for my, my team. It's not good for my customers. It's most of all, you know, not good for, for me or my, my family. So, um, actually really channeling my, my energy to say, okay, stop it. It's not useful. Um, that's actually been a game changer for me. I know it sounds so simple, but, uh, that, that wasn't something that I I knew how to do before. Um, so I really, that's, that's been a relationship that's very important to me. And I, you know, gosh, I've known her for over eight years now. But do you, and I think, absolutely. I think that we, we talk as, as I have this female founder support group here at Luminary and we talk about that all the time that it's, it's okay to lean on someone. And in this case, you're getting advice and leaning on your psychiatrist. But I want to go back because you just, as you mentioned, you don't, um, the thick skin and 
you know, not everybody is super extroverted and gregarious and, you know, the life of the party. And I think a lot of times that's what people think that's what all CEOs need to be. And you're one of your, and you talk a lot about this leading with compassion and the sensitivity. And that for you is just such a huge attribute to your leadership style. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm an unlikely CEO, right? If, if you went back to my analyst class um, of management consultants at Bain, I don't think anyone would have said like, oh, Sarah, she's, a, she's an obvious CEO. Um, I, I do need my quiet time. I'm usually not the loudest person in, my, in the room. Um, but I think part of the reason I, I left private equity and ended up starting my own company was because I, I knew I would never quite be as, as successful as I thought I could be if I was working within those environments where there was a certain expectation about the way CEOs are supposed to look or supposed to act. And I, I, have, I just have a very different style. Um, I think one of my challenges now is that I, I, I love actually connecting with and getting to know everybody in my company. And, and now we're, you know, we're almost 300 people. So it's, it's not quite possible for me to know everybody on a very personal basis. Um, I still take a lot of pride in, in knowing everyone's name, but it, it's, it's changing. So I, I think that's the thing that I'm yeah. always trying to, to figure out, but I think leading from a place of, of empathy, you know, I, I hate, I, I would never say my employees are my family. They're not my family, the fa- family you cannot uh, hire or fire um, and employees will come and go. Uh, but to treat everybody with uh, kindness uh, and directness, uh, I think I think that's something that everyone can practice, and that that's one of uh, actually our company values is is finding the intersection of, of kindness and directness. Yeah, I love when you when I, I've heard you and read about you know your focus on company values, which I think again with with fast growing companies those can fall away pretty quickly, right? So you you've kind of stayed true to that you and Miyako and just saying these are the company values, this is our mission, and this is what we're going to do. Um, and part of that, and and you alluded to it earlier, just around the funding needs, but part of that is 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 women's empowerment and advancing women in whatever way, and and obviously dressing them as well. But you know as we kind of finish up um, the the podcast, one of the questions, this perfect timing, um, we have two more questions. The, the, the second, the last one is really around how are you inviting other women or making room at the table? Again, considering our hashtag and the name of the yeah. podcast is come sit at our yeah. table. You talk a lot about this, right? And, and sort of making room. So if you could just give um, the listeners just kind of what you're doing personally. You know, I think just on a, a very tangible level, I think one thing that I will never forget and be forever grateful for is, is the number of people who are willing to meet with me when I was first starting this business. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I said this earlier, but I had never worked a day in fashion before launching MM. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I really knew so, so, so little about uh, the world of retail. And so in the early days, I was basically asking anyone who knew anything about clothing or fashion or e-commerce, if they would just grab a cup of coffee with me and tell me what they knew. Uh, and, and so I, I try to pay that forward now. Uh, I meet with at least one founder a week um, and uh, it's... Uh, it's something that I really enjoy. I actually learn a lot from them too. So it, it's, it's mutual, but that's, I think that's one tangible way. Um, I think within my company, my company is 86% female at, at the headquarter level. So um, I, I, 
I hope I think you're doing right, your exactly part. just that, uh, you know I think we're just creating more space for um for more women to be successful in retail you know retail despite being uh an industry that caters majority to women the top 10 retail companies are run by men um men. which is kind of just shocking um, and I think one of the successes behind MM is women creating and de- designing and speaking to other women, um, not through uh, the lens of others, but really that we are creating something that we wish we had wanted and we are talking to them in in a way that we would want to be spoken to. And so I, I hope that's a way that, you know, I'm, I'm actually playing a part in this bigger movement to get more women um uh, a seat at the table and also hopefully sitting at the head of the table. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, every little bit helps, right? Even the meeting with one founder per week, per week. I mean, that's, you have, everyone's busy, right? We're all busy, but I think that's another, you know, we have to pay it forward and make room and it's not just making room at the table. It's just making time for these founders and, and creating relationships that are long-term. Yeah. So no, that's amazing. And so, all right, last question. Yeah. And, um, Oh, is, I'm so sad it's ending. Your <laughs> luminary. <laughs> who's your luminary? Oh, I would have to say my mother. I know that that's probably such an obvious answer, but, um, you know, my mother, she was born in 1946 in Tokyo. So right after world war two, uh, I think just grew up during generally hard times and, you know, she is a professional through and through. She says that she's going to work until the day she dies. And I just knowing how much she had working against her, uh, you know, Japan is not a particularly friendly country towards yeah. working women. Um, and I think what she always showed me is how much she loved working. Uh, that was something she really um, demonstrated. I was uh, I think there were moments when I was in kindergarten where I was sad that she wouldn't come to pick me up. All of my other friends, their moms were coming to pick me up for me. It was my nanny. And my nanny is truly my second mother. Um, she still uh, works uh, with my parents. And, um, you know, oh. she really is the other person who held our family together. But uh, I got to see firsthand how much my mother loved working. And uh, my my nanny really is my other mother who who kept our family running and going while my mother was working. And together the the two of them were so dynamic um of course i you know and my father was in the foreign service he was a diplomat so he was always moving around always um working around the country and i i think what always stuck with me is how much um each of them loved what they did and so i think growing up i couldn't wait to be a professional um and i think when i when i think about women um having to step out of the workforce or maybe take um some time yeah exactly to to be um with their family, um, which is another really important conversation. But um, I think for those mothers who are feeling guilty about working, um, you know, while having small kids, you should know that uh, I think your kids take a lot of inspiration watching how, you know, watching how much you enjoy work. So I I would just, you know, I would just throw that out there, um, hoping, hoping that it'll, it'll reach some, some moms and inspire them. No, it, my mom is my luminary. I talk about her all the time. And I think um, they become role models. And, and my mom was a working mom. So I get that too. And, you know, you know, th- they make time when they can. And, and I, I think I'm a much stronger human being. And 
friend and aunt and, you know, girlfriend, all of that, because, because of that, I, you know, so many people that we've had on this and also, and the speaker series have said their mom, we need to do like a mom's event, right? Where it's like, are all of, all of us as founders and senior women business leaders and bring their moms in. I bet the moms would have so much in common. So you're right. (laughs) Very opinionated. (laughs) Exactly. And how to raise strong daughters. So, um, well, this has been so great, Sarah. Um, Thank you. We're, we're excited to hear once once we've got the the new news on the new, on the sort of evolution of Bento, yeah. but um, we're excited to to see that and hopefully get down to Brookfield and. Thank you again for coming on. Come sit at our table and we hope to see you soon in Luminary. Thank you so much. Go Luminaries. 